Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent, where we explore different areas of the construction industry to shed light on what life is like in companies across the field to help you build your career to your own specification. This episode of the Construction Career Podcast is brought to you by Wilson and Hampton Painting Contractors. Wilson and Hampton has been the premier painting contractor in Southern California since 1923. From concurrent projects at LAX and the historical restoration of the Salk Institute to decorative painting and gold leafing in LDS temples around the world. Whether working in the field or in-house refinishing shop, Wilson and Hampton can provide you with the quality and experience needed to make your next project a success. Welcome to the Construction Career Podcast with Cliff and Kent. Uh, This month, the month of December, we've got William Lee, who goes by Bill, Bill, from the Austin Company. And he's had quite a career. We're going to talk a little bit about a lot of the places that he's been. If you've listened to some of the episodes, you realize we typically go to dinner before we do the show, and we've had quite the conversation at dinner. So I look forward to the episode. It's going to be a lot of good information. Where are you from, Bill? Well, thanks for having me on. I am from Alabama. You may be able to tell with my voice. We've both, both Cliff and I have spent a little bit of time, but more the Birmingham area. A lot, okay. of, a lot of good food Oh yeah. in Alabama. Where did you go to school? I went to school at Auburn University. Now, uh, is that where you started at school? No. I grew up in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and I graduated high school from Sydney Lanier High School. We were known as the Poets. Okay. That was your mascot? <laughs> that's, that's quite a yeah. thing from Montgomery, yeah. Alabama. Bart Starr went to my high school. Okay. After high school, I, w- I, was, I played football, you know, like most kids in Alabama do, and really wanted to play at a big school but I didn't really probably put all the effort into studying and so I ended up going to Marion Military Institute and played football there for two years as a junior college. From there I went into the Marine Corps, Marine Corps Reserves, and when I got out started working jobs in construction, mainly uh, testing, soils work, soils testing and concrete testing and I was on job sites a lot doing all that the cylinders and did that for a while and then determined that you know I really like what I'm doing and ultimately decided that I would try to go out and work for a company that my parents had started when I was younger my brother was running that company it was a home building company and after I had worked there and finished the last houses that we had built. That was the end of the company. It was 1985 when that happened. And uh, so I decided to go to Auburn and attempt to get a building science degree. Now, there's, there's a lot there that, yes. that, you have, that we've covered, and there's a couple of points I would like to go back and touch okay. on. First of all, your experience in the Marines. Well, is it an MOS in the Marines? or what's yes. the, Was your yes. MOS in any way related to construction? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> not in any way. What were you in the Marines? Well, I started out as an 0311. That's a basic infantryman rifleman. Okay. And was trained as that. And then when I went into my my reserve unit, I became a mortarman and had to study and, and learn that and on-job training type thing. And then ultimately, I became a machine gunner. I was a sergeant when i got out i was a machine gun section leader m60 machine guns okay so here you are you have this career with the marines yes had nothing to do with construction and yet you came out and decided you know you got jobs working as a construction worker well i was in the reserve so mm-hmm. i was still 
a reservist oh, and yeah. working, you know, at the in testing the laboratory yeah. and and out on jobs and on the drill crews, anything I had to do. So, and you were actually in the Marines when you were going to school at Auburn. Yes, that's right. Touch on that a little bit. I mean, as as having served in the military, you know, there's a big push right now in construction. What is it? Helmets for Hard Hats is yes. one of right. the big organizations. I've heard of that, yes. What would be your advice to people in the, I mean, is, is construction something that, that oh, absolutely. veterans should be looking at? I think so, absolutely, because it's all about leadership, especially in the construction management side. Uh, you know, I started out in the field. Ultimately, you're, you're overseeing subcontractors' work. You may have a, a labor crew that you're overseeing. It's, it's really about getting things done. I have an old saying about uh, what, how do you get to where, say, I am. It's uh, GSD. Getting stuff done. <laughs> Getting stuff. <laughs> we'll go with stuff. I yeah. like that. Yeah. But yeah, honestly, I mean, as you think about some of these guys that are now looking for a career, or you know, they're just getting out of the military, or they're they're in the military, there's plenty of opportunity. And right now, you know, especially with construction booming as it is, there's a big need for people that can oh, be yeah. a leader. You know, military people are the people that you can count on. They're going to be the ones that they're the first one there in the morning last one to leave whatever it needs to be done there they know that they've been trained that way you know they're dedicated they're great people to have on your job you were at auburn went to school for building science what did you think of the curriculum at auburn well there, there were times i thought well i really wish that the curriculum was construction only but you know you have to do the the math and physics and uh, those were very difficult for me. I'm to this day I don't know how I really got out of calculus and I had two calculus classes and I had two physics classes. I don't know how you got out of either because I didn't. <laughs> I've I actually failed two of those classes. <laughs> Some of the other guests we've had on have talked about how there are going to be people out there that they're the top of the class academically and that's great they're going to have an opportunity but just because you're not the smartest guy in the room if you know how to work hard, right? there's a place for you. It and really you can is. advance. Yeah. Well, I think the, the, the key to for me was that I had gone out and worked in construction, and I had this desire to be the superintendent on the job. And the superintendent said, you know what you really need to do is go get the degree that they have at Auburn. And at that time, there weren't that many schools that had what today is known as construction management. This was back in 85 when I actually started. I got out in 89. I already had other classes I had taken at Marion Military Institute, but a lot of that didn't transfer over to the building construction side. So, you know, you had to take more, a little more time there. Any way they can to drag out your education. Right. Yeah. But the curriculum for for the construction building science degree is fantastic. It's estimating, it's business law, contracts, all the things that I do. And I don't know that there are many curriculums out there that actually prepared me as well as I was prepared by Auburn University and that curriculum. There's still a program there. Let me say one more thing about that. One of the things, and I, th I think they still do this, is that they had a thesis project at the end. And the thesis project was you were to find an actual project that was going to be built 
And so you had to go to an architect's firm to get this project and submit it in to see if that would be okay for you to do your thesis project on. And you had to estimate the job. You had to set up a company and go out in the field, see some of the work, report on that. And you had to stand up in front of people, a board, and talk through all the the different things, the schedule, all the things that we deal with today. I had to do in that one class. That's similar to, I believe, the Cal Poly programs, like Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, their architecture program. I mean, that, that school's known for, kid comes out of Cal Poly, you can put him on the boards. That's what they used to say. You just put him on the boards, he's ready to work. And I would imagine that Cal Poly's much like that, too. About 75% of our architects and engineers at the Austin Company graduated from Cal Poly. From Cal Poly. So- <laughs> so you graduated from Auburn, and where did you, I mean, did you do any internships? Did they have internships at the time? Well, when I was at Auburn, I was obviously in the reserve, so I was doing my weekend duties, and, and, and then also I was doing the summer. I'd go to the summer camp that I'd mm-hmm. have to go to. And on top of that, so I, I paid for my college through that uh, the reserves and having tested and gotten uh, you know a certain amount of money each year to go to school. The other thing I was doing is I was working basically full time. I worked at at one point I actually worked for the testing laboratory that I'd worked for before uh-huh. and Auburn was building uh, an expansion to the football stadium. And I had my own office trailer out there, and I was the guy doing the cylinders and checking the rebar, all of that, and always talking with the superintendent. And so I'm working and going to school. Eventually, I somehow get out of school. They had the on-campus interviews. Turner Construction showed up, and, you know, I, I never really thought I'd be working for Turner. And... So I went to the interview, and they selected a few people to go to a second interview in Miami. You were were one of them selected. Right. I'll tell you that uh, the people that I were were on the plane with me that went to that interview, the top of the top, you know, except me. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I got, uh, I, I was able to go, I think they saw something that, well, number one, I had been in the military. I had, I was a a little older. I was 25, 26 when I graduated. So I was much older than most of the people that were there. And I got there. And then once I was there, I think that the Marine Corps got them to think that, hey, this guy is going to be ready to go when he's out in the field. How many people did they send to Florida? Five. Five. And they initially interviewed how many? 50. 50. And they got down to how many people they actually, how many people got the uh, Dear John letters? Uh, four. Four. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, and they really were smart people, no, no kidding. So when I actually go into work the first day and meet the HR guy, he's on the phone. He says, uh, his name's Tom Turner. Tom's out there. He says, uh I just had a, a recruit just reneged on me. And you know, he hung up the phone because he tells me that. And I said, well, I got a guy for you. And it was one of my buddies that was 
you know, with me on that interview in Miami. Uh-huh. He said, well, let me talk to him. And he actually hired him. He became my roommate. And they brought him <laughs> back out. He became my roommate. So I, he, he got the, you know, the turndown letter. And then he ends up becoming my roommate and working for Turner. And he ended up, he worked out here in Southern California. And he ended up going back to Charlotte, North Carolina, and built the Carolina Panther Stadium as a superintendent. A couple of really key points here that I would like to point out to everyone that's listening. Your military history helped in you getting a job, right? Oh, absolutely. A, you were you'd learned a lot. You were mature, but also some of the people that recruited you had a similar story. So the HR person that I talked about, Tom Turner, mm-hmm. he had retired. He was a retired military. He was a Marine. The head of Turner's recruiting was a, uh, I believe he was a colonel in the Marine Corps and had retired. And so The point being, whatever organization you're a part of, whether it's yeah. Boy Scout, whether it's military, whether it's whatever organization that there right. is at the college, I mean, heck, you got a job for the guy that you met on the plane going down to interview. Right. So don't overlook as a student, I'm saying, like, don't overlook those people around you because all of that can come into play in in your career. Right. I would also say definitely don't look at the others and say, well, they're up here and I'm down here. You know, there's some reason you're there and someone saw something in you. Yeah. And that you've, you've earned your place at the table. I think it was Jamie or yeah, I think it was Jamie that was talking about that. You know, you've earned your place at the table, so take it. So that excellent, but that I just hope people realize like how much that circle of influence it's it doesn't have to be huge. I mean, right? Just people that you've known that were interviewed with you. If you're part of any group organization, especially for military, I mean, there's a lot of guys out there that are looking for good people, and you've already got a connection in one way or another. So so use that to what it is. Now you had a hilarious story about your first job and the offer that they gave you. So we'd like to talk a little bit about where where did you end up with Turner? Well, you, you got the job offer. I got the job offer and back then, uh, as I said, there's we had no cell phones and things weren't just instant, so you would you would go out to your mailbox and say, "Oh, did I get a letter today? Did I get a letter?" and and you know, I'm still going to school. I haven't graduated yet and finally I get the letter and now I want to know, "Okay, well, it just tells me that I'm hired." and what I'm going to make, and it says what my position's going to be. And I'm like, okay, what do I do? Do I call them and say, well, where am I working? And I, I knew they were, that Turner was from, you know, New York. They were a New York company, and I thought, well, you know, maybe they give me an opportunity I can work in New York. So I called them up, and ultimately I did have a conversation. I said, we have offices all over. Where would you like to work? Well, you know, the corporate headquarters is in New York. Might as well work in New York. Uh, and they said, well, that'll be six months from now. <laughs> and I said, no, no, that can't happen. And they said, I said, you got to have something like I can start now because I have to work. I'm graduating and I have nothing to do and I need to work. And so they said, well, Texas and uh, and California, and, you know, actually California is the best place for you because – even Texas has a waiting time. I'm like, okay. And so I uh, loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly. Right. <laughs> Jason, Jason Literally, I did drive a truck out here 
had no radio, and I drove out here. <laughs> had never been on a freeway. <laughs> a little bit of culture shock when you pull yeah. into Southern oh, yeah. California. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and you come into town. Financially, were you prepared to be here to, <laughs> to have a job? Um, actually, no. Uh, my mom had given me some money, and I had saved some money, and and I'd really planned a trip really well. You know, back then you used the uh, the Atlas. Anyway, I I was driving out and paying for gas. And I don't know if you ever go through uh, like West Texas. They used to have these signs on there that said "Next gas station." 75, uh, 75 miles. miles and you look down and say oh i better turn around <laughs> and turn around and go back and get gas so i had some of those things that happened and I, I put out a lot of money and when i finally got to turner's main office the guy charlie cook came out he's big gray beard guy and he takes me down the street to the fashion institute of design and merchandising so when he's there he says oh uh where are you going to stay it's just like a Friday. And I said, well, I, I don't, I'm not sure right now. I'm going to get a hotel somewhere and be back to work on Monday. He says, well, how much money do you have? And I said, oh, 300 bucks. And he goes, $300. Anyway, he says, well, let's go back to the office. And back then they had a safe. And he went into the safe and I think he pulled out like $2,000 and said, hey, you're going to need to get a place to stay and all this. And, you know, I'll never forget that. What he also told me was, we only pay once a month, and you're not going to get a check for another, like, 28 days. 28 days, yeah. So um, so that was a shock, and, and that's where I really kind of honed my skills on budgeting. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of mac and cheese, hot right. dogs, whatever it takes. Yeah. But that, you know, there's, I, I found that story hilarious. But in the same vein, you're not going to be prepared for everything. And as a student, as you come out and you get a job offer, or you can you can prepare all you want, but there's going to be things that pop up that you're not going to be sure of. Right. And I guess the, the key there is that you're just willing to go in and make it work. Yep. Well, let me just say for all those uh, out-of-staters out there, uh, the California laws have changed, and they now <laughs> you have to pay what, at least once every two weeks. Yeah. Right. It's not once a month anymore. <laughs> So you started off with Turner in Southern California. Right. How long were you with them? Well, I was with them for nearly six years and got out on a project where I thought I would be there for 10 years. That's how you know young people think sometimes and okay. decided to leave Turner. And you know sometimes I kick myself for that because Turner was a fantastic place to start work. Their training, the people... I mean, some of the best people I worked with and, you know, were there. But I did venture away. And then eventually, like about 10 years later, Charlie Cook called me back. And it was, I was owning my own business. I was a general contractor. And he calls me up and he goes, I know you're a general contractor, but I'd like to talk to you. Maybe you want to come back to Turner. And at the time, I was out trying to chase people to pay me money that they hadn't paid me right <laughs> right and so I thought yeah I'll, I'll go and talk to him but I'm not sure that I would ever do that and uh, ultimately he talked me into it and I went back and thank God he did because being a general contractor I was not seeing my kids growing up you know they I was working you know 
seven days a week and it gave me a life to do what I'm doing now and and he hired me at a uh, as an operations manager over like all these 84 airports that was back after 9-11 and where they were doing all the baggage claim uh-huh. and uh, so so I went I did a different stint so I was there early in my career and then I was there and was a uh, ops guy on a big huge project a billion dollar project nationwide and then went back down to uh, not really down about it was to a senior PM and became a, a project executive. So there was, I mean, how many years, maybe 10 years between? About almost 10 years of Turner in my career, yes. Okay. Yeah. Had it changed much from when you first started to when you came back? Turner had not really changed. I mean, they were still the true blue. That's what they are. You know, it's like you still have to go out there and bleed Turner blue and and you want it I mean that yeah. you're everybody was in love of uh, of that company and working for the company they had a great culture Th- other things had changed and because I was running my own you know company and didn't have a lot of money I you know I wasn't so much onto the computer scene and all of that so I had to kind of go and relearn a lot of, of that type of stuff you know the email was a big thing you know it's like whoa what is this so so yeah like you come back and there's maybe not necessarily things about construction but the tools have changed right well one of the things that happened that i think made me valuable uh when i did come back uh, on a technical aspect is that because i had been running my own crews i had we did we self-performed a lot of work i really got to understand what the subcontractors were going through you know and and some of the things i we would were taught when i was younger about you know ensuring that the subs we weren't overpaying the subs and you know doing the financial things if we weren't doing it a certain way you had the potential of subcontractors getting a little overpaid and then the next thing you know they're not able to finish the job or those types of issues and that hit home with me because I had been a general contractor a small contractor and I had done some of these things that they talked about as being but you do that when you got to feed a family right yeah. and, and what I'm talking about is pulling from one job to put, on another put job. A, or put it in your bank so you can pay some bills that that type of stuff right so you learned about financial things and uh, had I not gone into business for myself and and dealt with being a general contractor dealing with contracts and uh, the legal issues of contracts and that type of stuff I don't believe that I would really be in the position I am today it's a much wider experience it is yeah much wider experience in a smaller yeah, smaller scale, but the experience is much broader, yeah. and it's uninsulated. That's right. Because if you, when you're in Turner, you're part of a big organization. Exactly. You got a problem, you can, you can go to somebody. But when you're a contractor and you got a problem, it's your problem. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. When I'm at Turner, I can go home, go to sleep, not think of it. But if it's my problem, I got. I'm up all night thinking of it. If, if it's a legal problem, you just call in the suits. <laughs> that's right well, well and you know your paycheck's coming on friday regardless of where things are and then 
you run your own business, that's not always the case. So what did you start with Turner? I mean, how did you start? Were you like a project engineer? Was there a progression? Yes. Like, how, did yeah. it, how did it go? Because a lot of kids, and the reason I ask this right. question, a lot of students wonder. And we've tried to cover with a lot of the different companies, like, this is how they started them, and this is where you went from there, and there's kind of this progression that they had yeah. for yeah. where you're going to go. A so. program. A programmed right. progression. Well, with some of the companies. Right. And that, that, by the way, has changed, as you'll see when I go through this. Um, so first, Turner would hire you as a, as a field engineer. Now, field engineer at Turner was line and grade. You know, you were like a surveyor out there, right? Survey equipment. In fact, on the way out here, I, I brought, brought out my surveying books, and I was looking at it and making sure that I knew what I was going to be able to, you know, what I would have to do. I needed to refresh the the knowledge of what I'd learned in college, right? And when I got out there, I was totally mistaken. When I first came out to the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising, there was a project engineer that was running the project, and he was not a project manager. He, his title was project engineer. At Turner, it took eight years sometimes, five to eight years, to become a project engineer. You started out as an assistant. So I started out as an assistant superintendent. By the way, that project engineer is Bernie Morrissey and one of the sharpest guys I've ever worked with. He was every bit a project manager on that job. Bernie, I believe, is with Suffolk right now, and at one time he was like their operations guy, and he became like number two eventually at at Turner in Los Angeles. So he uh, he's had a great career. So as an assistant superintendent uh, on this job, though, what what had happened, and it was an unfortunate thing, is we had a great superintendent. I didn't get to work under him. Right before I got there, he had had a brain aneurysm, and he survived, and he was in a hospital and all that, and they brought in a a carpenter foreman type that would be uh, the superintendent. And so he and I worked together. His name was Bob Davis. Bob taught me all types of things out in the field, and not only did Bob teach me, but also, I learned quickly that you don't get very far by thinking you know it all, you know. You yeah. better know that these subcontractors and those foremen, those field foremen, they can teach you a lot when you're a young person out in the field. And so I always went to them, and I was honest and said, look, I don't know what I'm even looking at here. Can you tell me what this is? And they would tell me, and they would use jargon that I had never heard of, and I would write down those notes, go back, and I had a construction dictionary, and I'd look up the <laughs> stuff in the construction dictionary. But at the same time— Did you always find it? Uh, sometimes, sometimes and sometimes <laughs> not. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a difference uh, between uh, what's in the construction dictionary, dictionary and what, what is called. construction slang, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but no, that, they, that's, I learned a tremendous amount on the project, um, but I actually learned how to be a pretty good superintendent, and early on in my career, you know, things were a little different, it, you know, a lot of things that have changed now, you know, we have a different, we, we tend to be a team with the subcontractors now, and, and we try to do work 
with if we're on a design bid build we're we're looking at trying to somehow create a teamwork with uh, the overall team including the architect and the engineers and the client all of that back then there was a triangle of you know here's us the contractor here's the ae and here's the owner and let me tell you it was like a siloed total siloed big time argument going on all the time about that and that those were not fun to work on so back to the question yeah so i was an assistant superintendent i finished that job i feel like felt like eventually i was looked at as a real superintendent didn't have the title still they don't they didn't just hand titles out you know today young people will come out of school and they'll get that title uh project engineer you still have they're still green and people have to train them and and that's the the key if you think that you have to walk in there knowing everything you don't you have to be someone who is asking questions someone who takes a little more time with their work and put in a little more uh more hours i believe if you're someone that you think you're going to get your first job and spend eight hours a day on that job this is probably not the thing for you because it takes time to grow in this industry i don't think there's any industry that if you're going to work eight hours a day 40 hours a week you're going nowhere that's right and you were talking about listening and asking questions you do that your entire career absolutely i I ask the guys in the field will this work will that work what do you you I always, I have a good idea, but I'm always checking those ideas. And, and we're a specialty contractor and we have to purchase coatings. I've been putting on paint, you know, or managing paint work for 30 years plus. I still call my vendors and check. If, if there's something that's just not dead simple, it's like, can I do this? Because there can always be some portion there's, there's some detail there that prevents you from using that product or whatever. So, you know, that constant listening, the asking of questions and the listening and watching, it goes on all the time. Because when you think you know everything, you yeah. s- no, that that's not going to work. Because right. see, things are constantly changing. Well, and I would point, one thing that's really interesting, if you go back and listen to most of the episodes of the podcast, almost everybody has said that same thing. Talk to the subcontractors. Let them teach you what it is that they know. Talk to all the field guys. Talk to all the field guys. I'll give you an example. I I just used this example in a corporate meeting. I had a block mason one day that I'd had on several of my jobs, and it uh, it was an El Nino years ago in in the early 2000s, and we were uh, on this job, and it, it flooded, and it we had we just cut the sidewalk around these we were doing a housing tract uh, for the military and uh we needed to get the concrete down and all of a sudden it rains and it's you know clay soils and you got a moat around the whole thing you got a pool a pool absolutely (laughs) and i'm like oh my gosh i have to go out and pump this and he says hey let me show you a little trick now this was a long time ago, right. so we can't do it. This code. <laughs> might might uh, not be up to code today. <laughs> <laughs> right. He said, I can go out and get the Costco clout detergent. And he goes, I can make that stuff go away in a day. 
And I said, how are you going to do that? And he says, just watch me. And he, go, he goes out and he gets all these five-gallon buckets of detergent. And he slung that stuff out in there like he was feeding chickens, right? Right. And the next day we came out, not any water there. Because what was in the, the soap had, at the molecular level, had broken apart, you know, the clay. And Let it, even more of it yeah, absorb water. So. It basically changed the, the makeup the of the clay soils. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Soils so those are things that you can learn from. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's, you know, as a subcontractor, that's refreshing to hear that, hey, go out and talk to your subs, you know, let them, let them show you what it is they know. And, and don't think that, you know, that what's the, the thing up here? I don't know how to do your job, but my book says you're doing it yeah. wrong. We got a little quote up there. And uh, you can learn a lot and yeah. you don't have to know. And that's important. And when you come right. into the field, you don't need to know everything. Well, absolutely. So from Turner, you were there for five years, six months, I think it says on LinkedIn. Where did you go from Turner? Uh, I went with American Constructors, a smaller firm. What was interesting to me, I went to an interview, and I, you know, they said, well, we've got this job. It's the uh, Bruin Woods uh, job for UCLA. It's 26 mountain chalets in the San Bernardino Forest in Lake Arrowhead. Now, you're going to have to live in Lake Arrowhead, and uh, I thought, that's a negative. I'm sold. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. that's supposed to be a negative. Yeah. So I moved my wife and my brand new daughter to Lake Arrowhead. We lived up there for like nine, ten months. It was fantastic being up in Lake Arrowhead and building cabins, basically. But these were very nice. You know, it's a resort. Right. One of the interesting things, you look at your resume, you, you've moved around a lot. I mean, right. you've gone from place to place to place. There's a reason for each one of those moves. And, and I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's important is that people yeah. understand. You know, yeah. There's been some people we've had on, they've been with one company for forever. And there's been people that come on and they jump from place to place. Or yeah. they, they make me move a couple of times. But like you said, you know, there was a reason for each one of those moves. Yeah. There are the, times I think that I wish I would have stayed my entire career at Turner, you know, and but I think each time I moved, I believe I learned something at that particular place that took with me to the next place. And there's always something good. You know, I've had one or two moves that were not really good, but amicable. I, yeah. I may have burned a bridge, <laughs> right? Yeah. But even then, I will say that I learned something at this like there's one that that's on you know on my list of companies that I probably wish I never had gone to. However, they did they had some things that they did really well, and I have actually incorporated those in the Austin company and what what we're doing. You know, there's some things related to safety and certain you know. processes, or procedures. right? Absolutely. So, Bill, in that time period, though, wasn't there a lot of like hired gun? project managers going on where people just moved they were project managers they worked they worked a project and and when that project was winding down if they were working for a general who didn't have another project they were just you know at the end of the project they were looking for the next project because they had to keep yeah I, I think that a lot i mean many of the companies i went to it really wasn't that but i do know that there were there were guys out there doing that so my reason for leaving Turner was really I had gotten placed on um, a very large project and the front end of the large project 
which looking back is great. It was a great experience for me and uh, the guy I worked with. Uh, I worked as a cost engineer at that time with Turner, cost and scheduling. I mean, this, at this point in time, we didn't all have Primavera or Microsoft Project on our computer. So the guy that, like me, that did the, the, the schedule, I was doing that at the Turner office on a special computer, putting that together with a plotter and, and all, all of that, you know, and it was a big deal. So Today, how, can I ask you a question there? Yeah. How were you building your schedules? Was it with like post-it notes and like laying it out? No, or? no, no. You did no. all on the computer? All on the computer. Uh, I mean, it was CPM scheduling. I'd had that at Auburn. I'd actually, and we were working with DOS, you know. Yeah, you know. yeah. So um, command line. Yeah, you know. I, I'll tell you something else about that part. My question was like, how you know you look at these programs today and they're laying out the schedule. And I believe before they had computers. Yeah. I mean, you literally had to like draw it up on a piece of oh, paper. Oh yeah. Well, what my first project that I had, I walked into the trailer, and the schedule was this kind of almost like a plan size, you know, deal. And there was a uh, attack and a string with a nut on it, right? A Gantt chart. <laughs> and basically that's what it was, right? But I knew that that wasn't the way you needed to schedule and because of, of the curriculum at Auburn. And so eventually I would sit down with the cost engineer and we would go over the schedule and, and create the critical path and figure that out. And so in this role, when I decided to quit, I was at the uh, L.A. County USC Medical Center uh, replacement project. That was to be about a, I think that was like a billion dollar project back then. It was going to take us 10 years to build this thing. So if you think about, I've been with Turner for nearly five or six years and most of those t years, I was out in the field, and and now you're thinking I'm going to spend how long doing this? Scheduling? I'm going to be well, not just <laughs> that, and also doing these spreadsheets, and and basically the guys that I reported to, one was with the county of L.A., and he was the director, and then I was the project executive, is who I reported to for Turner, and so. They taught me a lot about cost control and budgeting and scheduling, and I mean, it was great, but there came a time when I said, I'm wasting away here. I need to go back out in the field and learn to build, and, and that was my desire was, remember, at first, I wanted to be a superintendent, and so I wanted to go out and build. Eventually, you'll find what it is you want to do. That's right. And, yeah. and a lot of these companies, as you listen to Andrew in the last episode, McCarthy's big thing is they try to find what it is you want to do and that you can perform, and then they'll try to, to cater your career around that. Yeah. So that's a big deal. I, well, let me just tell you, I listened to that podcast. That was a fantastic podcast, and Andrew is a – I mean, I wish he was on my team. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good guy. Okay, so you were with American Constructors for a little while after you left Turner. Well, then, yeah, i got to tell you this. Okay. So – why did I leave American Constructors? Well, it got down to where we completed a project, and it was uh, this was in the like ninety three, ninety four time frame. So the economy wasn't doing so well. And, no, it wasn't. Yeah, right. So they gave me an option. Hey, we'd like you. They had a sister company in Texas, 
and they were going to give me, they said, well, we have a project for you that you can go to Texas. It was at the University of Texas. I think it was the library. Okay. And so I said, well, when I was doing the job over in the mountains, I would, I had my own computer because it had Windows. I actually had to go out and get my own because they were using, still using DOS. DOS yeah. And I said, I would pick up my computer and take it to home so I could eat dinner at night and I would still do all my reports and the things I had to do as a senior project engineer slash project manager. And I said, could you get me a laptop? And they said, no, we can't get you a laptop. So I was pretty sure that that wasn't going to work for me. And so I quit. <laughs> you know, it's the, and it's the stuff you wouldn't even think of today. Like these are some of the right. things that you dealt now, with. Now, the, these guys, American constructors, have gone on. And in fact, in fact, I think the guy that's running that job was a young guy they, they brought in as I was going out. And uh, I think he runs a good show over there. I mean, he, he, they're, they're actually a very good company. Well, you, you evolve or you die. That's right. In this industry, yep. right? From there, where did you go? I actually thought about getting out of construction, and I interviewed with uh, a ranch. I wanted to uh, run a ranch, okay. you know, be a ranch manager, except uh, this ranch was up by the Kern River. My wife wasn't too thrilled mm-hmm. about that because there was, it was about 80 miles to the nearest hospital, and we're trying to raise children, right? So we didn't do that. You never know where your career is going to take you. I interviewed with a company called Keller Construction Company. Keller used to be a big firm out here. Great company. Bill Keller, Paul Keller. Uh, I mean, great, great family, great builders. So I interviewed with a project. I think it was a senior PM or something. Uh, and he was building student housing at UCLA. But apparently I wasn't the right guy and he didn't hire me. So... I thought, okay, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And about that time, the phone rang. It was a guy named Bob Hartung. Bob had worked for American Constructors, was a vice president. He liked what I had been doing. And he said, hey, why did you quit? And, and I told him. And then he said, well, I'm working with Keller Construction Company. You know, maybe you should come over here. We're going to build some military family housing. And so I uh, went to work for Keller. Yeah, again, you never know who's well, going to call. And well, who you're gonna know. I never had worked with Bob, and but Bob saw that I was organized and the things that I did. He liked it, and he said, "I think this is a good guy to have for a, a senior project engineer." Is what they called me back then. So, what did that consist of? I mean, what were you doing as a senior project engineer? Oh, let me tell you. <laughs> In this particular job, this was a project with Swinnerton and Keller. So one of the first things was we needed to buy out the job. And this was one of the first opportunities I got to be involved with the buyout of the job. So I sat around a big conference table and we had all these guys with all this experience around me. I'm the youngest guy at the table. And everyone's kind of dividing up. Okay, he's taking the concrete. This guy's taking the painting. This guy over here is taking, you know, the bath accessories. And basically, they give me the final cleaning. I think maybe I had the bath accessories. And maybe like some other, like a minor trade, right? right? So I go to San Diego is where the job is. 
So I go out there, and they've got all these numbers. This, by the way, is a de- my first design-build contract. Okay. okay. They've got all the, the numbers, and you know, but n- none of them are buying out their trades except me. I got mine done. And so they said, well, Bill, can you – Bob Hartung says, Bill, you need to take this. And, and so I, all of a sudden I end up, after working there several months, I'm buying out the entire job. <laughs> hey, this needs to get done. It right. hasn't been done yet. This needs to get yeah. done. It hasn't been done yet. So that was a, a job that was about – I think it was about 16 to 18 months, wood frame. We built 412 uh, military housing units, roads, pump stations, utilities, all of that. Great job. I was promoted to uh, project just, manager. Just like a suburban job. development. Absolutely. It yeah, was it was family housing. Yeah. yeah. You were with them as a project manager. Uh, you also had down a superintendent. Was that like a different role well, or was it the same so deal? So the next project was another military family housing project, smaller. It was about 75 units, and they were designed to look like basically custom homes. They were actually on the west side of the 5 freeway, or um, the Western White House, Richards Nixon's right. Western Cotton's White House. Point. Yeah. Cotton's Point. Yeah. 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 yeah I so, remember when those were being built. Read those again. When, I was I was on I was the PM, the superintendent, the secretary, and all of that. <laughs> the job actually uh, was a great job. Some of the most prime real estate Absolutely. in all of Southern California. Oh yeah, just unbelievable. I, I demolished um, the CIA housing and the helipad for Marine One out there. I mean, it's kind of cool stuff you know that neighborhood did not want us to be building there by the way <laughs> no 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 because that was shore cliffs that's right which was uh a, it's a gated community in san oh, yeah. clemente absolutely yeah. in fact they had the Surfriders foundation where they were going after us you know for building there all the joys and stuff you get to deal with in construction that's right yeah well so you were with keller for a while uh it looks like four years uh, which you know oh yeah what you had. i mean that was a great company i loved it and i love the people there well and it's interesting to note that you found the team that you really jived with had it been just the original people that no you know you right. weren't you weren't good enough for us like sure yet you went on to have a great career and really enjoyed your time there so. well they closed their office and at the same time when i finished the job i had determined i was going to be a general contractor and go out on my own you got bit by the the entrepreneur bug yeah huh? But also, one of the partners actually tapped me to help him doing consulting work. And so as part of my general contracting, I would do consulting work with him and really Help pay work. the bills, yeah. Right. I mean, I did stuff up in San Jose, you know, so I got to see some different areas of the country to build in. And those two projects where you were basically doing residential subdivisions. Right. You and you put in you put in roads, you put in sewers, you you put in all the all the infrastructure, and then you built the houses, and so <clears throat> there's a breadth of experience there that if you had worked for Turner, you may have never built a road. Well, or never I, wood framing. And yeah. well, so when I ultimately when I go back to Turner in this, one of the things they tapped me for was, hey, didn't you do some wood framing? We don't have anyone in this company that knows wood framing and i said oh yeah i had my own framing crew and i can read the plans i know everything about that and so yeah i i did 
wood framing. So you went off on your own. Uh, you know, the company closes down. You've you've decided you want to be a general contractor. Can you give it a little compare and contrast versus working for a big company to now you're going off trying to build the houses on your own? I mean, huh. what 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 were the biggest challenges that you faced there? I really jumped into that thing not really understanding business. Right. And, and, you know, although I learned when I did my thesis project at Auburn about business, but when you're – Working for someone, they they're dealing with the money. I mean, you're you're managing it, but they're the ones that have to make sure that the money's there. Right. right. You don't realize what that is until you get out on your own, and and now you're got to think about cash flow. I mean, really, I was kind of naive. I think we took a loan out on our house, and I got like sixty thousand dollars. This was like nineteen ninety nine. I think that $60,000 what lasted maybe six months, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you budgeted it well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now it was all about, you know, cash flow, all that. You got to get the subs paid. But one of the things you learn is, hey, there's a, there's a reason for the lien waivers. And if you can do joint checking and work with a, a supplier like Ganaw Lumber out there. I mean, this is how I survived is because I had a joint check agreement and, you know, they knew they were going to get their money. And uh, and that helped me. That's something you just don't think about. I mean... Well, you don't know until you yeah. get into it. Well, you may be in charge of all the finances in the world, but if it's not your money, exactly. you're not vested in it. <laughs> you know? Well, I, I will say that when I ran my jobs, I did think about the money and whose money it was and you need to you, you need to run a job as though it is your money but even though you do that and you say you do that you really don't know until it is your money no because it's not actually your resource and the resource appears to be infinite you know right. if you're working for turner or some of these other people it's like they've got a line of cash it never seems to be a problem but when you're you were a custom home builder? Uh, I did a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. It's, it's like you are the resource. You right. know, you're the mine. You're, you're, oh, yeah. you're, that's where the cash is coming from is out of your mind, and it's a completely different viewpoint. So I mean, it is really amazing when you think about people that, you know, whatever construction they're doing, and they've lasted however many years because it was really difficult. And, and think about it now. He's he's bought out a whole subdivision okay he's you've already worked on the scheduling right sure. and 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 the cash flows but this is probably some of the most difficult times you ever had yes yeah oh yeah yeah not everyone's going to go run their own company but that's something like you said and that's a good point is you've always got to think about if it was coming out of your wallet you know right how deep is your bank account you don't always have a turner construction to fall back on now, one thing I'd like to say is that back when I was doing my thesis project, I named my company, and ultimately when I got to L.A. I, or to Southern California, I kind of told myself, you know, give, I'm going to give it everything I got for 10 years, and within 10 years I want to own my own company and start my own company. So when things were kind of unraveling at Keller, our jobs were successful, but when that job ended, I, I didn't really know what I was going to do. As an opportunity 
you know, happened, and I said, well, maybe this is it. This is 10 years. I'm going to go go do this and try to make it happen. So ultimately, what led you back to working for a company, commercial construction? Well, as I said earlier, I'm seeing, you know, my children, three, I have three children by then, and they're little, and I'm leaving, you know, I'm getting home late at night because I'm estimating a job or I'm doing the books or whatever it is, and I'm out of there at five in the morning to go get materials for the job site. You've left before they've woken up. Oh, yeah. And you're coming home after they've gone to sleep. That's right. And then I have to work on the weekends, and I thought, you know, really it's not a good life for our kids and uh, there's there's something other than construction. That life there. work balance was out of whack. <laughs> <laughs> Way out of whack. Yeah. So and the other part of it is that you know, it's the roller coaster ride. You got money one minute, you right. have zero money the next minute. I did a one job and we had not been paid by a certain client and I had two guys that were laborers slash carpenters with me and we were. We were, at that point, doing a little bit of everything. We had, we would go out and install windows. You know, we did window mm-hmm. installs, mm-hmm. you know. So we did the showroom for the Anderson, I think it was Anderson windows. And so when we were working on the showroom, I had these two guys working with me, and they were younger than me. And I had saved up coins <laughs> in a, in, for years. I felt bad that I didn't have the cash to pay them right away because I was waiting on the check. And I said, hey, I just grabbed like a whole bunch of these coins and gave them to them and said, hey, go out, get whatever you need. You know, these are all, you know, it actually was quite a a bit of money there. But I was just using the coins out of this bag. I had it in my truck. That's what I was kind of living off of. Now, my wife had no idea this was going on, right? All the joys of, you know, that whole marriage thing just kind of throws a kink in the works. Yeah, a lot of sleepless nights, you know, a lot of long introspection, I guess you could say. (laughs) And then you were were approached by Turner to come back, correct? Yeah, they called me out of the blue. Charlie Cook told me, he said, hey, I, I I have a need for an operations manager. He didn't tell me that until I got there, so I had no idea. I didn't know if he was calling me to be an assistant superintendent again or what. So when I went there and I started to look at what he he made an offer, and I'm like, wow, this offer, this is more than I've made the last two years, and I get to come home on the weekends. I get holidays. I don't have to go chase money, Uh, all these things, right? And it's like... I have to do this. So you went from working for yourself, working seven days a week, however many hours it took in a day, back to construction life for a big company. I mean, did have you ever worked a nine to five working for a big company? Uh, never. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's a lot of hours. And that's something I hope kids understand. I mean, especially yeah. if you want to be successful, you're going to have to put in a little bit of time. Let me explain one more thing. In the role that I was put in, this was a very interesting project. We were going into existing airports and putting in, the, at that time, the technology for baggage check systems out for security. Really, for me, in this operational mode, it was more about overseeing, I'll call them project engineers, and what the changes on the job, the change management aspect of it. But also, it was 
managing the people in over 84 airports. And so what that really uh, equated to is I was a travel agent. I literally would sit in my desk at my desk and read 200 emails a day. And this is the first time I've really been that big into email, right? And I was bored out of my head on that job. It was boring to me because I wasn't on the ground. I wasn't on the ground. I wasn't providing solutions to problems. I wasn't with a team at, that was actually working on something that I could look back and say, we did this, we got this done, you know, and, which is really why you get into construction is the effort that the team does, we can look back and, and point to it and say, we, we had a part of that, right? Well, I drive down the road now and I see a project that I worked on and my kids, they probably hear it every time we're in the car. I had something to do with that. I did that. I, I built that. And that's what we all say. I built that. Well, we don't, no one person builds it, right? But there's value there. Yeah. And that, you know, I, there was an article years ago. I have a lot of friends. I talked about this on some other episode, but I have a lot of friends that pursued IT. You know, and I, I was at a point in my career at one point where it was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to do construction? Am I going to do IT? I chose the route that pays less, I guess would be the way to put it. But you have some guys that work for a company for 30 years and retire, and then the company disappears. And the article talked about, you know, it was an article in Wired Magazine, I think, but it went on to talk about how, you know, in construction, you have this tangible thing that you're when you're done with it it's yeah. there and you can always go back and say hey yeah we built that building or guess what you guess what used to stand there was a building that we worked on absolutely and there's value to that but i've had people that had other professions or whatever they were in other careers and they got into construction and they said this is the most incredible thing i've been involved with is is this what we do is really unique construction industry is really a small industry when you think about it compared to all the other industries and a lot of people have no idea what goes into the construction of one of these buildings or roads and all of that and there are a lot of people that have their hands in it and it's absolutely teamwork so you were with turner then for a little while the second stint Right. It looks like you moved on quite a few times from there. Even. Right. Do you so, want to talk about any of those? Sure. Uh, well, Turner, I mean, uh, some of the projects that I was involved in were, you know, obviously the airport thing. And then I did uh, the first, if you go back, if you talk to people at Turner now, they'll tell you that Turner has done a ton of schools, you know, in the LAUSD schools. Well, I did the first bundle of schools, which was a bundle eight school program. The LAUSD had the biggest program in the world of rebuilding and, and building new schools in the Los Angeles area. So we built eight projects, seven schools and one uh, community center, and all under one contract. And I had a team of about 25 project engineers and superintendents kind of working under me. And then I had a uh, another, he was a senior project manager, or I think he was a project manager at that time. He was like our cost engineer. So he was doing all the financial part while I was kind of out in the field hitting all the job sites. Although I'm a senior project manager, I'm kind of acting in the role of a general superintendent, but also kind of just the leader of the whole group, you know. And uh, that was very rewarding. Some of those people, those young people that worked for me, they one of them has gone on to lead like the Google um, 
the, the, the facility for Google. Yeah, this big facility the up there up north for uh, Google. Campus, the Google campus. Yeah. Campus. Oh, yeah. I've got others that have been on huge jobs. They're now project man. I keep up with those guys. I mean, it's two of them got married. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll talk about this as we get a little further on, but you're in a role now where you have to find people to fill positions. Oh, right. And yeah. so you have this network that you've built. Well, let's, let's get, get to where he is. What is he right now? Okay. So we jumped past um, with Turner Construction. You went. I was at Rhapsody Partners. Uh, Rhapsody was basically an owner-builder, a developer-owner-builder. And they had their own general contractor uh, firm, which was mainly in Las Vegas. Okay. So I was a uh, vice president of construction, and I oversaw the general contracting aspect. And we did like a retail slash residential mixed-use center. You know, it was about 21 buildings in, in uh, Las Vegas. We also did work up in, so our office was in Seattle, Washington area in Kirkland, Washington. And so we had, we developed projects up there. So I was involved on the pre-construction side of those projects and then would hire a general contractor to do those jobs. The interesting thing about Rhapsody, great paying job, made pretty good money there. And uh, at the same time, we're starting to begin to see, this is in the 2007 time frame. 2007, yep. 2008. So yeah. we're starting to see issues in the economy. The banks are not loaning money and allowing you to build. So when I said we had about 21 buildings, one of the problems with that was we needed to build those like 10 at a time, right, with the general conditions that we were building. You know, we had our team out there. Well, the banks cut that off and said, you can only do one building, then we'll give you money to do the next building. Finish anyway. one, and, finish and the other. That's right. And so that kills your business plan for that project. So we had to rethink that business plan and say, well, we need to put an RFP out for each building and have a general contractor come in and build that building and and take all the risk related to that and unfortunately the other part of that is you got to let go of all these people now that was just that company but this is going nationwide all over the place it hadn't really quite gotten there yet but at the same time i was not very happy at rhapsody and the reason was that it didn't have the same team environment that i had been involved with you know for many years so I was missing something that wasn't there that had nothing to do with money it was all about what I did and what my purpose was when I got up in the morning and who I worked with right this was a development company a development company where people came in just like a law firm and they go in their office and they close their door and they don't come out till yeah and they only call me when they need me right they need an answer about a cost or something like that so it didn't it didn't fit who i was and i was already starting to talk and eventually i went with uh, je dunn and became their number two guy in uh in uh seattle did you move from southern california or were you commuting i had moved to, to be with rhapsody so then i spent about a year because by now 
you're in the swing of the decline. And, and yeah. Seattle is absolutely collapsing around me. The, the the construction industry is. When that happened, I actually got laid off, and that was the first time that it ever happened. That was really tough, and I was thinking, well, how am I, what am I going to do? And I don't want to be a general contractor again, okay. right? No, but, that's but, the best time but, to do hey, that. I'm, yeah, that's not going to work. So what I started seeing was that the only thing that was happening was government work. Uh, in fact, when I was at J. Dunn, I was doing the border crossing facility at Blaine, Washington to Canada. We had a team out there, that, and I was overseeing that team. So I looked at what was in my resume that an experience that I could go, fall back on, and so I fell back on those uh, military. military family housing projects, right? And I said, well, look, I've gone through quality control for the military, for you know the Army Corps of Engineers and NAVFAC, and I took that and basically pointed to that in my resume, and pretty soon I got a couple of calls, and eventually I got a call from RQ Construction, which was a design-build firm who basically all they did was military work. Luckily, those guys hired me and moved me back. You know, so <laughs> that was a big plus. Yeah, sure. So you came back, you got back to L.A. with more than $300 in your pocket. I did, right. <laughs> the second time around. Barely. <laughs> so you went from military housing then uh, yeah. to a consulting firm. Well, with... Um, or you did this at well, the same RQ, time. RQ Construction was, we did military projects of different sorts all over the nation. So I, in that stint, I was actually hired as a project executive. But those people also had some monetary issues happening at, at some point there. And ultimately, um, I began to go on the road and actually oversee projects. So I, I did work up in North Carolina, 11 BEQs in North Carolina. I was a JV with Walsh Construction. We did Fort Bliss, Texas. We then uh, went to Davis Monthan Air Force Base. I did uh, two project, uh, one project over there, uh, and most of these are all design build projects. The Davis Monthan Air Force Base, I actually lived there five days a week with a team and would come home on the weekends, Weekend. right? And uh, that went on for about two years, I believe, and that was difficult. I, ultimately, I had that project and then I had a project in Monterey. And so I was flying from one project. I had a apartment over here. I had a little tiny house over here, you know, renting stuff. Yeah. And then I had my home. So it was like a triangle. <laughs> You'd bounce from one to the other to the other. Right, right. But that, that kind of got a little old and they had some problems. And I eventually quit. I quit a little too early, maybe, but uh, it just worked out this way that they ultimately had a mentor-protege program going with an Alaska Native firm, and they needed a project manager or a consultant that could get them done with a project that they had started at davis Monthan. And so I went back out there and worked as a consultant there. Okay. Ah. Yeah. It's good to, to realize that as you gain this experience, that's something you can always do is that's go right. back and consult. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now we get on to your time at WebCore. Right, and anyone familiar with California, that's an interest. That that's that's a name that raises eyebrows. Right. So, uh, can you talk a little bit about your time at WebCore? Well, first, I I did hit another company, Austin Commercial, 
Uh, they're a great company. Also, some people confuse the, the Austin, Austin company. company with Austin Commercial and vice versa. And uh, it's an interesting thing, but I have actually worked there as well. Ultimately, I, I chose to leave Austin Commercial. And I, at the time, I was just looking for something else and eventually came across WebCore, interviewed with WebCore. And what was interesting is that I had talked to uh, Turner about the Metropolis project and the, possibly coming back to Turner. The biggest project in L.A. at the time, right? I That's mean, right. Was... Yeah. Well, it was second biggest, I would say. There was the Wilshire Grand. The Wilshire, Wilshire, Wilshire Grand. That's true. <laughs> what happened there is that ultimately I, you know, I ended up interviewing with Mark Turner, who was running uh, WebCore Builders in Los Angeles, and I actually told him that, hey, something's not right with Turner and Metropolis. the Metropolis project. Something, you know, I, I'm not sure what's happening there, but something's happening. I don't I, know the details, but, I, right. but there's something going on. So within a couple of days of being there, WebCore actually got a call, and it was Greenland USA, who's the Chinese company that developer that came in to to, to build build Web, Metropolis. Yeah. They contacted us, and within like about a uh, three week period, we needed to put numbers together for an estimate. Or it wasn't an estimate; it was a GC and fee proposal. And long story short, we ended up being uh, selected, and they told us, "Hey." you got to get this thing going this is in june like mid-june and they're like by july the 4th you got to be working out there have a hole in the ground so i'll tell you we had a a team of people that came down from northern california and they worked on schedule while i was working on buying out and getting the contracts ready to start the construction i was a project director and so we started it on july the 3rd and when what we had we we took pictures of our trucks coming into the site we had the american flags on <laughs> but it was a very incredible job to be a part of in uh, you know we hired most of the team uh, all they were all new hires except for superintendent the, the key you know leadership of the team one of the best teams I've ever worked with probably the best team I've ever worked with and uh, we did our own concrete had 225 carpenters on the job at at one time the job was ultimately there became a phase two I think that overall this project for WebCore was about you know with phase two about 800 million so it was a huge job and a great job for me however I did not know it at the time that that might be the last job that I actually go out and and work at every day to run that job and build it right it was interesting as we talked a little bit at dinner most of this started without a contract uh, oh yeah absolutely I mean, you well you had an agreement with with the company and... we were we worked on the contract going back and forth but yet we were building in the field this is truly a fast track project so a lot of people don't understand that term fast track but that's where the job isn't completely designed and so we have the design for the foundation and maybe the superstructure. And so we're able to get started while they're continuing the design. Well, at the same time, we don't have a contract signed. 
And most companies are going to say, that's a huge risk. Why are you doing that? But <laughs> It's a huge risk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what we did is we, we realized that we, we needed some way of tying a contract to, you know, the subs and to our client. And so the way we did that was, you know, basically utilizing a bid tabulation where they knew all the bids, they saw the bids. We recommended who we should use and who we would contract with and what that contract amount would be. And then we would also identify any risk out there, and that those risks we put dollars to as a budget in case we hit any of those issues out in the field. And this is how it's done a lot now, but most time you have a contract. Yeah. Um, but by basically adding some signature lines, that what I called an approval letter for a bid package became a contract. Ultimately, we didn't have our contract at the very beginning. We did have it within the first six months. We got that all put together. But each one of those bid packages, and some of those were millions and millions of dollars, right? There were signatures by the client and by us, and then we obviously had our subcontract agreement with our subcontractor. And that's how we did that job. And It, it wasn't a design-build project, was no, it? No, no. So it became a collaborative effort between the general contractor and the owner. And the uh, I, I have to say that really what was helpful is that there was a construction manager between us. Uh, John Wong was uh, that specific construction manager, and I, I'll tell you, he was the liaison. However, we we all we had our conversations with the client all the time, but John really did an incredible job of keeping us focused and all of us, the client and us, moving. He did a fantastic job. He he worked at Tishman. He now is working with a hotel developer, but uh, great guy. He greased the wheels, made yep. it all happen. Yep. So well, he was like a moderator, right? He was. He was. And that, that was, a, you know, another thing is that, you know, as I told you when we fir- first started talking, you know, when you have back in the day, we were, we were fighting with the client, fighting with the architect, the architect's fighting with us, and all that. That would go on, and those weren't fun. But for some reason, in, in, a, in a huge job like this, and now you see this more often, is that we're all, we realize that's not the way to build We've got to be a team, uh, even though I might work for this company and you work for that company. We've got to figure this out together and get it done. I would say that the construction industry, it's a much less confrontational environment than it was in the 90s. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because I remember in the late 90s, one of my cousin's husband said, well, what do you do, Cliff? I said, well, I go to war every day. <laughs> no, I mean, I and I spent almost seven years just writing claims for painting contractors, you know. And I told one of my employers, I said, you know, I'm getting tired of being on all these losers. He said, Cliff, your job is not to make money; your job is to mitigate loss, you know. Mm. And so, but it was really confrontational. Yeah, the first few jobs I ever had, it was. It was confrontation on every everywhere you looked. It was between the sub, the general, the architect, the general, you know. <laughs> the owner. They had, oh, yeah. in, the, in the 90s, they had partnering. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, and, I, I participated in that. And I had one guy said, he said, he took his foot, he drew a line in the sand, and he goes, look it, this is my partners, those are your partners, let's get to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big feather in your cap. I mean, you dealt with Metropolis, which is very recognizable for downtown. You left WebCore on good terms. I did. I believe I did. And, uh, as far as you're aware. <laughs> that story may have changed. I don't know. But, uh, no, I think that I did leave on good terms. I, you know, they're a great company. I have a lot of respect for them, uh, a lot of respect for the people in the management, uh, good people. So where did you where did you end up at? Well, I was contacted by the Austin company and was provided, you know, a discussion about who they were. And it was intriguing to me what they were talking to me about. Well, first of all, because I have jumped around so many times, I I got to a point where I thought, I am going to live out the rest of my career doing large jobs. Maybe it's with WebCore, maybe it's with someone else, but I can see myself doing this more. And I enjoyed it. I absolutely enjoyed the work on the job site, you know, and, and being a part of a team leading a team, mentoring young people. I still do. I I love that. They gave me an opportunity. The Austin company gave me an opportunity to lead a company now, you know, an office. And I I couldn't ask for a a better opportunity and and a bigger challenge. I mean, this is a huge challenge. And I think we're we're meeting the challenge and, and we're doing good things at the Austin company. So what what have they got? What is your day to day? I mean, what are you what are you trying to do for the Austin company? Let me tell you a little bit about the Austin company because a lot of people here don't have any idea. They haven't heard of the Austin company, and that's they're not a McCarthy or a PCL or that's a, right. You know, that's right. A Turner. Yeah, yeah. So and it's my job to get us to that level where people know who we are and begin to respect us on what we bring to the table and what we offer, which is what you'll hear is that not very many companies do what the Austin Company does. The Austin Company is 140 years old this year, and we celebrate 140 years. The company is uh, originally and, and still is located in Cleveland, Ohio. That's where our headquarters, uh, headquarters is. is. They only specify Sherwin-Williams paint. Cliff's reading the the brochure as we're talking here. No. What we're known for is what's called the Austin Method. The Austin Method, the the founders were of uh, the Methodist faith, and the Austin Method, the A and the M, and our our logo is Austin Method. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of looks like uh, the Greek letters, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the founder's son. The founder was a carpenter, and he had basically been a builder of fine homes and banks. And and so ultimately, in the Industrial Revolution, as we're starting to see factories and that type of, of things, the founder's son had gone on to college and gotten his degree in engineering. And he said, well, we can offer us a sole source project because we can design it. And we, we can, can build, build it, it, right? And he actually created this Austin method, which we still use today. And, and the DBIA, the Design Build Institute of America, look, it calls out in their books, they say that we are the founder of modern-day design build. 
and he did that back in the 20s, 1920 or maybe earlier than that. In 2016, we celebrated 100 years of aviation and aerospace work. So that meant that when the Wright brothers, you know, were, were yeah. working on the planes there, yeah. well, right after that is when we got into it. We actually began to build for um, Glenn Curtis and all these factories for his planes. And we've been building for Boeing and Northrop Grumman, uh, Lockheed Martin, and all the other companies ever since. Which which makes it difficult if you want your name out there and you're working on these projects. Absolutely. Where so that, you can't that's, talk about that's it. That's the key thing is that those projects, they all have, you know, non disclosures. Non disclosures, and you don't go waving a flag out there. Uh, so, you know, people don't see you. You know, they're behind the gates. And, uh, inside the buildings you know but we hit southern california in 1921 so we've been out here longer than some of those companies that you talked about turner wasn't out here then we are the ones that designed and built the uh, burbank airport there's a plaque on the wall with, with this so my challenge was well no one knows who we are what can we do and Ultimately, they've allowed us to start general contracting, not just design build, but allow us to have a construction side of the business that we can do general contracting, and we are able to do work in you know the typical markets, the uh, hospitality market, the multifamily market, markets that we haven't normally been in. But Really, it's all about people, and if you got the right people, which I have an incredible team that I've brought on from, you know, new people that I've met and people that I've known throughout my career that I felt like were, were fantastic. We have a pre-construction team. One of the main guys in that pre-construction team is a guy that I met at RQ Construction. So this is how important it is to, you know... Network. Network with... and. Yeah, I've jumped around a lot, but I've also, I have an incredible network of people that I know and I respect and I call them and get their opinions. And, and so I pulled a guy that I met at Rhapsody Partners, he, I mean, excuse me, at, at RQ Construction. He, he had moved on and he's my uh, pre-construction manager. And I knew when I needed to get a pre-construction manager, that guy was going to be the guy. We have a guy that deals with our, you know, procurement and subcontractors is Paul Dempsey. Paul's a great guy. You need to get him on here. Uh, he talks a lot better than I do. Um, Paul worked for Turner. Right. He was on the Wilshire Grand. Well, he was most recently on the, the stadium, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, he's yeah. Only, he hasn't been with you for very long. Yeah, he's been on a couple almost of years. a year. Almost a year. Almost a yeah. year, yeah. Right. We, yeah. we actually bid out the stadium. Yeah. Or at least we were out okay. there in talks. And so oh, Paul yeah. was one of the guys. Yeah, the, Paul's a fantastic guy. On the buyout committee. Right. So what I find interesting about Austin and this Austin method is that that methodology contributed much to their client base because you guys have built a lot of technical facilities. Oh, absolutely. Manufacturing and processing facilities where if you think about it, that demands a much more cohesive and collaborative effort between the the whole construction team, the owner, the designers, the builders, because there's so much. Right. The end use is so specialized to a degree that you have to 
like really work together. And the Austin, that Austin method, that vertical integration, where we're gonna we're gonna take care of you from top to bottom, and you're gonna be a partner with the owner right. in the construction. And you know that's well. The the other thing that is unique today is that oh, you, you saw all these design build projects that I'd done. I love design build. Um, I went on and got the DBIA professional certification. certification. Bob Hartung, the guy I spoke about, he mm-hmm. is the one. He actually pushed me to get that. And Bob goes out on the road for the DBIA and does all the educa- a lot of the educational classes. Education classes. Right. So uh, all those were done where it was a general contractor and they're, they have, they're teaming with an architect, and that architect is hiring consultant engineers for them, right, or sub-consultants for, for them. In, at the Austin Company, we have 40-plus people in our office that if you walk through our office, you can see over here is mechanical engineering, here is architecture, here is structural engineering, you know, electrical, plumbing, mechanical engineering and we're talking when i say mechanical engineering we're we're speaking of clean room type stuff yeah. you know th- th- these are you know, like you say they're they're uh specialty you know, specialty specialty there's a lot of a lot of thought that goes into all these facilities and so all those people are here now and can, the, and can the advantage design? there is that that you're an actual team as opposed to a general contractor kind of partnering with an architectural right. firm. And we see that, and it's just like, are you sure you guys are working together? And I was just like, can you explain to that guy who's your partner that this is not really the best way to do this? Yeah. And they're like, mm-hmm. we, we, don't want to, we don't want to make waves. We don't want to ruffle so our these filters. These kind of conversations go on every day between our construction and our design people and and you know they they work through these problems now not all of those as i said we don't do just design build Uh we're doing design only type contracts as well and so we're working with the design team is working with other general contractors and subcontractors and what another very interesting thing is when we are a general contractor and we take some of these submittals over to our people and have them also take a look at them. They, we also take our drawings over to, you know, professional engineers and give them, get them to peer review those just so w- we want to kind of understand it ourselves. And so it gives our people, if, if they've only been in a, in a setting as a general contractor, it gives them time to actually learn about structure and electrical engineering and mechanical engineering we sit in and we we're going to learn all of that and so we feel that we really do have an advantage in to give our client uh that you know because we do have all these different uh you have resources available to you that other generals don't it's a very unique company because of that there's not too many of those out there how much healthcare work has austin done it would seem to me that a hospital yeah. which is a very complex building oh, yeah. with a lot of different systems mm-hmm. in it would benefit would benefit from this methodology. We did have one office that was totally committed to healthcare. Uh, we we determined that we needed to close that office down and the idea is that we're going to 
try to bring healthcare into what we do in my office and in Atlanta and in Cleveland. It's something that we definitely want to be a part of. You know, Oshpod, uh, a lot of times you have to have a lot of those Oshpod jobs. One of my goals is to get us back into the hospital, you know, healthcare construction. Because it's a pretty stable market. It is. In fact, some of our people are actually in roles at Kaiser, you know, people that have left Austin, but, you know, mm-hmm. determined. It's something that I, I know our team can do, and it's just... We just need the opportunities to come our way, and, and we'll we'll get them. Well, that's your job, right? That's right. You get to prepare the way for that. Damn, that's right. And given given the Southern California market, you really need to be – they're not building those kind of technical facilities in Southern California. Some there are. Some. Yeah. They're, they're smaller than they used to be, though, right? right? Well, the aerospace, obviously. Yep. Food processing, there's a few of those. There's a lot of that up in the Central Valley, we, yeah. and, and we're up there. We've, we have some very large clients that we're working for right now in the, in the Central Valley, uh, Sacramento area. We want to do more of that. Our office is all of the western United States, basically. This year, we're finishing up one right now in uh, Oregon. A couple little projects up there in Washington State. Uh, one of them is the lo- world's largest manufacturing facility for a small company called Boeing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you've heard of them. They build yeah. airplanes, right? Yeah, I think they do. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that was a huge project. Thinking of the target audience for the podcast, is there a, a geographic region that you would say if some guy was getting out of school, didn't have connections, and he was looking for work, you should say, hey, you know, this, this region here is is just taking off and and you can foresee a long well you know there's a ton of work going on in san francisco but i would not uh tell someone to do that <laughs> you don't put yourself through that <laughs> right <laughs> no uh actually san francisco we have a project up there we're helping you know on a hotel project we're doing and the client's a great guy and, and we want to do more up there Sacramento and, and that Central Valley, I think there's a lot of work up there. It's, it's going to be industrial mostly, I think. I think Washington State's always, if you get on in western Washington, it's just booming like crazy, and it has been. I'm not sure if they've slowed down yet. But we're starting to see a, a lot of potential opportunities in, in the Arizona area. Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix Metropolis, yeah. 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 And, yeah. and in Texas, obviously. We get Texas always has... As uh, work there seems like lower right. wages in Texas, so manufacturing and other processing facilities right. would tend to like go to those places as they leave California because well, I mean, they, they, and then they have Dallas and you know some of those yeah. bigger towns. It's lower wages, but it's also you know cost of living, cost of living a lot less too. So yeah. that's right. Does the Austin company? I mean, do you guys recruit a lot of kids out of school? We do. Cal Poly is where we have most of our, our people are coming from. What are what are you looking for in students and what are some advice we could give to kids that you know, if you're looking at a you're looking for a company, like what are things that stick out to you? Did you go out and get any experience, some hands on experience working in the field? Did the curriculum that you're coming out of, did they look at things like self perform type work? A lot of uh Schools have begun to do a program where they let the the people 
actually learn how to swing a hammer and, and actually put work together in the field, and I think that's great. You, you want to try to get some of that, heck, even if it's working for Habitat for Humanity. Get out there and, yeah. and understand what the tradesman does, you know. It's not easy. If, if kids are interested in the Austin Company, can they just go to the website and find out information? They can. We actually are late on our new website. We're actually putting together a new website, and it was supposed to be done uh, this month, and uh, it didn't get done Ah, uh, the joys of technology. Yes. Yeah, they didn't meet the schedule. <laughs> That's right. You know, tell them to look me up, call me, send me uh, something on my LinkedIn. I'd I, love to hear from people that are looking for an opportunity a a internship we can definitely find a place for a few people and put them out on a job site do anything you can so i'll I'll make sure and link to your linkedin and the show notes for the podcast absolutely a couple of little things as we're trying to wrap up i I was interested to get your take on something so we have a girl that works here in the office she's a woman uh, she's not a girl (laughs) we have a woman that works here in the office she's fairly new done really well but she was studying architecture and it was amazing to her as she came in and started estimating the lack of detail and the issues that she's found in drawings and you know this is a conversation that takes place on every job site oh, across yeah. the board but i think it's important that a lot of these students understand hey this is something you're going to run into when you get out in the field and so there was a conversation in one of the threads the forums that i follow where someone asked the question was it just me or have the drawings all gone to crap because all I've seen are these things, and there's errors, and it doesn't have information, and blah, blah, blah. Well, there was a comment, like a response to that, where uh, a guy that works for a large GC, and I'll read some of this because I, I mean, he uses better words than I would, mm-hmm. but I'd be interested to get your take sure. on this. Uh, he says, so for what it's worth, I also work for a large commercial G- GC, and yes, the drawings are going to crap. It's bad enough that I mentioned it to the owner. So here's the, the general contractor talking to the owner. He told me that from the savvy client's perspective... Part of the reason that they spend the money to go with a big, well-established GC is that they know it means they can skimp on the architectural and design fees. The big GCs can all afford to hire people who would otherwise have been architects or engineers. So why pay all the money to a design firm to get a set of plans to 100% completeness when you know some poor beleaguered super engineer just a couple of years out of school is going to find, the, find it and fix the gaps on the fly? So in other words, every time you discover a huge design flaw and fix it yourself, rather than sending it back to the design team you, to stay on schedule, you're setting yourself up to have to do it again. So this idea that, you know, you've got these big McCarthy's and Turner's and PCL's, and they have all of these, you know, civil engineers that work for them, kids with architectural design, and they they take on these projects where the drawings are not complete by any means, mm-hmm. and they just fix it. I mean, is that something... What did you take on that? Well, I don't think McCarthy as a general contractor is going out and fixing the drawings or fixing the 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 work. They're going to be. I mean, if they're doing this thing, I know these guys. I mean, they're yeah. they're going to be doing you know the RFIs, you know, all of that, and and that's ultimately we when you skimp on the drawings on that side, you are going to have a ton of RFIs, and people say, well. You know, I've I've had this thing where somebody says, "Well, the general contractor is sending RFIs so he can figure out a way to, to make have make change orders, right?" And uh, no, that's not what what they're doing. What they're doing is they're trying to figure out how you want this built. Remember, drawings are communication. It's 
communicating how we're to build it. The builder is not the engineer. The engineer is the engineer, and he has to tell us how to build it. And he does that through the vehicle of the drawings, right? And so you ask a ton of RFIs. So what we say is we're building the job on RFIs. Well, we're building the job on RFIs because most of these RFIs, there's going to have to be a sketch showing what they want us to do. And that's really not the way to do it. We need, we should ask for better, better design than that. It's not the the uh, client is paying for that, and he's paying for a quality building. And if you don't have that uh, by the design team, you're not going to get that quality building. And I, I think Bill's exactly right. The general contractors are not fixing the drawings. They're not stamping the drawings. They're not stamping the solutions. So they may suggest solutions that are the easiest thing to accomplish in the yeah. field, but they still have to go back to the engineer and architect so that they're stamped. So there's a couple of things here with that. Is that So one thing is the drawings aren't well, and we're having to do RFIs. We're doing those RFIs, and if we're doing RFIs properly, we're going to do just exactly what you said. We're going to suggest from our experience or from the superintendent's experience suggest a solution can we do it please confirm we can do it this that's way. right yeah right. And, well, and, and but really i mean the the drawing should be um, complete complete and remember at the end of the job we got to provide an as-built drawing so they throw that back on the subcontractors and the general contractor to provide these as-built drawings so one of the things that i always get into when i was at the very beginning, when you're building a project, and I'm talking, to, you know, any size project, but these large projects, of course, you got to do this, is let's get it down on how we're going to have these drawing changes and, and what happens when we have RFI. So used to, I used to say, you're going to send me out a bulletin after 100 RFIs or, or some sort of RFIs, and you're going to take all those RFIs and put them on the drawings. So if, I'm, if we're able to do that, now we actually have drawings that work. A conforming right? set. A conforming set, and we are not going to have to, we're not going to miss something on the right. as-built. So it's actually good for the client to get this. And it shows that, hey, we've, we've identified all these things that have happened with these RFIs. It's interesting as we talked, because we had talked a little bit about this at dinner too, and you said that in the situation that you guys have at the Austin Company, where you have a design team in-house, right? you've still got issues where oh, they send we, information out. And it, it's, it's a common <laughs> thing. I mean, we're, it's not like we're fighting among ourselves, right. but there, some, there, there are some discussions that occur. What is this line, and right. what is that line? How about giving me some notes on this and... But that makes us all better. I mean, our our builder side, they're they're learning how to work with the drawings and how you know what you know goes into being. In yeah. it. They begin to see the issues that the design team has also with you know only so much time and they got to crank out a set of drawings, right? And we look at those drawings and say, well, well, this guy over here, he's got to build off of that and he can't. So we have the same same issues, but. What we do is uh, we resolve them in-house, and hopefully we have a set of drawings at work. You know, there's you hear this story about the Empire State Building was built in, I forget. A hundred days or something, yeah. Some very short period yeah. of time, and it took how long to build Metropolis? 
Longer than that. Longer than <laughs> right. that, right? Yeah. But Metropolis is probably much more complex than the Empire State Building. Right. And it has systems that you oh. that you can't put in oh, to yeah. the Empire State Building. And it, so the act of constructing anything has become much more complex because of all the systems that are integrated into it and all the regulations that exist now. There's another comment in this thread, thread that the guy goes, hey, you used to be able to do a sizable building with 10 sheets. Right. Right. And, yeah, you used to be able to, but now you wouldn't no. meet the regulatory requirements no, with 10 wouldn't. sheets. Yeah. So yeah. That, that's the, the same the, thing one of on... the big problems is the schedule. Yeah. They want stuff done so fast right. that right. it makes life difficult for yeah. everybody. Oh, it does. Yeah. That's what we sell at the, uh, you know, at, at Austin uh, is, you know, the, the Austin method and the design build method allows for, first of all, the fact that we're able to communicate. Um, it's easier you know, to walk in, across in the office right. than it is to send right. something across town. But, you know, on a design build project, we're able to get the, the uh, level of drawings to a certain point and begin construction, Right. And so that that whole process, you know, works. It, it cuts that schedule down. Instead now, of having the drawings take two years. Instead of having the yeah. drawings. Right. See that, that pile over there? Let's take right. it. Right, go build a hospital. That, that's definitely going to take you two years. you got to go through Oshpod, all that, right? Yeah. So uh, that's just something I hope students understand as you get out into the field. This idea that drawings are getting worse and it's really easy to blame the architect. But that was that other comment that Cliff mentioned was from an architect and they talked about how, Hey, you know, the schedule from the client is that we give them these drawings and, and they think that because of BIM now we can just produce them like this and they're right. accurate. And he's like, no, that's not the case. You got all these things you have to tie together and, and they don't want to pay for near, you know, you never know. Maybe the owner's paying for the Pinto and they want the Ferrari, you know, like you never yeah. really know what's going on. Well, yeah, of course, if the, if the owners only knew, you know, that, if they would pay the architects the, the extra right, money up front, the actual money, and kept the it, RFIs are to minimal. get a good set of drawings, you know, the outcome is different. Would be much better. Well, and you know, that's what was the one we've dealt with recently that we get to provide the finished schedule. Oh, no. there, there isn't, and I don't know if they're still doing, but there was an architecture firm in Orange County, and they put out their drawings, and they'd put finished notes on the plans, and then they would instruct the subcontractor the painting subcontractor as part of the submittal process to provide a finished schedule for their approval yeah i was wow. like are you kidding me i'm not doing your finished schedule for you basically it's like, well we figured this out on the drawings now we want you to do that spreadsheet that we're supposed to do so that you can use it did they ask the door guy to give a, a, a door know, schedule a, a yeah. door spec yeah <laughs> yeah the hardware spec well you know how do you save money you outsource it to the subcontractor, right? All the information's there. You just need to compile it. Right. Turn it yeah. back in. Yeah. yeah, and that way we'll know whether or not we missed something. <laughs> <laughs> so don't do that if you're an architecture student. But, you know, as we're winding down, Bill, first of all, we're glad that you come on the show. You know, Thank really you. appreciate the dinner. You've had a great story. You've given some great information. Exciting to see where the Austin Company's headed. In I like the parking years. garage story. Like, as soon as you said you drove into that parking lot, <laughs> you, you know, you said, well, I only had $300. And then I drove into that parking lot at Arco Towers. I was like, 
oh, the parking fee would have just like $25 oh my, for right. <laughs> so, Props yeah. to Turner for, for taking care of you there. But, uh, you know, is there anything you want to discuss or some advice you'd give to students? I mean, this is a platform for you as much as this for us. I would say really it's about, uh, you know, coming into work every day uh, with the idea that you want to learn as much as you can, ask questions, take the time to talk to people that have been in the industry for a while, learn, ask why you're doing it a certain way, learn from the trades, put in the effort, put in the time. You do that, you're going to be golden. You're going to be, you're going to have a great career. I also would say, you know, if you're kind of on the fence of you're trying to figure out, well, do I, am I going to be a chemical engineer, a doctor, or, hey, I'm, I still have this, I think it's kind of cool that they're out there building stuff. You can actually have a great life. You know, you can make a good salary working for a contractor. I think I have an incredible life, and it's really because I got up every day and loved what I did and loved being a part of a team. That's really what it is. So, and then you, the good thing is you get to leave behind something and you drive by it every day and you say, I remember that. That was something. <laughs> I remember the guys that worked on that job and the people I worked with. And the headache that the painting contractor was. <laughs> you know, one of the things about asking questions is, this occurred to me while you were saying that, is that when you ask those questions, you need to ask those questions to the point to where you understand the answers. Right. And it's Michael Graves, an architect, Michael Graves said, if you draw something, it's yours. Mm -hmm. And basically, because if you draw it, you've gained a real understanding of, of how right. it was put together. So if you're asking a technical question, if you don't, if there's a, a portion of that answer that you don't understand and, and it's like, I'm not going to get this. I can't go to the dictionary and look up that word. Right. This is not coming together for me. You need to keep, like, the the person will go the extra point. If he's giving you the time to respond to your question, he's going to give you the time for you to understand the answer. You know, the person that's trying to explain it to you may not understand that, that it needs to be explained in a different way. Last yeah. week I tried to communicate something to Tracy, and it was just like the next day I said, I finally said, it's just a checklist for him. And she was like, oh. And I, I looked at her and I said, how come, how come I couldn't, what did I do yesterday that I wasn't communicating that? Explaining right. what know? a submittal log is. She, yeah, she, she had to do a submittal log, right? right, right. And I said, you're just going to write down a list yeah. of what you're going to give them. It's just, yeah. you know, and she did, she thought she had to do like the whole submittal and she had to get it out in the next four days. And she was, and then she said, look, it's just a checklist for him. And she was, oh, oh, and that's not a problem. I just need to do the checklist? Yeah, just the yeah, checklist. Just the checklist. Not all the things on the checklist. Well, Bill, thank you for coming in and talking to the, the audience. Um, we really, you know, appreciate the time that you spend coming in and hope you had a good time as well. Let so. me let me leave with one thing or else I'm going to get in trouble if uh, anyone <laughs> at, at Austin hears this. Okay. Is that... I really respect architects and engineers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good point. No, no, I don't want to hear that. Uh, oh, Bill was bashing the architects and engineers. They they really are. I mean, our company uh, is where we are because of those guys and the the work they put. It's in. an incredibly difficult yeah. job. 
It They're is. easy to bash, but you try and oh, I can figure out that. all the details yeah. ahead these, of time. These are we, and we really have some great people in our company. I mean, first of all, I personally have not done some of the work that we do. You know, like you talked about how technical it is, and to design that stuff. I, I mean, they're way over my head, and uh, you know, they come in every day and run these calculations and figure this stuff out and and it's amazing i mean they really are just compare the appearance of buildings today to 40 years ago i mean they're doing things now that they wouldn't even have thought of attempting to make a building with that form it was like oh you just can't do that exactly yeah there you go so industry just marches forward and yes like we said it's easy to rip on the architect but and I realized Randy Gellert talked about it in episode four was you never know what they were supposed to, what, you know, what the owner actually ordered, you know, yeah. you never know what the architect's supposed to deliver. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> they did what they got paid for. Yeah. So anyway, everybody, we appreciate your time on the show. We appreciate your time coming on the show. We appreciate all the listeners out there. Oh, it was fun. If you have any questions, you know, like I said, we'll have Bill's LinkedIn profile set up so you can contact him. Uh, he's open to, uh, to, to help you out in any way that he can. And as always, reach out to us if there's anything we can do better. So thanks, everybody, and have a good evening.